wants to be famous? That's one of the many themes swirling around in Armageddon from 1977, a film by Alan Jeswa. My name is Nathaniel Thompson from Mondo Digital, here today to talk about this rather sometimes overlooked, at least to my English-speaking audience's film. Uh, joining me here today are Howard S. Berger. Hi, Howard. Hey, Nathaniel. And Steve Mitchell. Hey, Steve. Hey, Nathaniel. Good to be with you guys. Indeed. It feels weird not doing this on camera, considering the theme of this film, but uh, we'll go along as we can. Pretend this is the days of radio, but uh, fascinating film. Uh, if you don't know the name Alan Jeswa, this was part of a kind of, he was on a, a hot streak at the time. This was in between two other, what I think are masterpieces that he directed. There was Shock Treatment or Treatment of the Shock from 1973, and he followed this up with uh, my personal favorite of the trilogy, which is Le Chien, uh, 1979. Mm -hmm. But all three are really great and kind of fascinatingly interlinked together, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, you know, the thing, I'm, I'm going to just jump in uh, about Jesua here, and then we'll kind of backtrack. Um, he's a tricky guy. Um, he's, he, for me, he sort of is, uh, he represents a, a, a series of intentions that um, are, are kind of initiated on separate paths. And, and there's a few directors that I, I can name real quickly that sort of, I would say in their own countries uh, match his, uh, I guess his his needs and one of one of the ones that come to mind immediately and also Michael Winner, very disparate styles, very disparate concerns, but they were all predominantly I see them as uh, satirists and and they're not just you know. Uh, they often work either against or use their material uh, in a way where uh, they make not just comments on society, they uh, outright condemn, humiliate, not just the society, but at times the audience who is the intended uh, commercial, you know, target for the project. And Jesua is because of this is to me i'm so completely shocked that not many people know his movies and that he hasn't made i think maybe more than 10 films um feature films he's it's this film in particular bleak and disturbing as it is it's extremely funny uh if you can you know shut off the upper two levels of the of the commercial aspect of the film and the obviously this film you mentioned is um it's kind of scarily you know foreshadows what actually we're living in now uh, i think at the time it was probably a, a great <laughs> as all science fiction or speculative fiction it's like oh what, what a great idea yeah we're grabbing some moments i think uh Tavernier and death watch did a similar you know did a similar sort of thing uh where you know you 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 think it's you, you know you're 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 you think you're you're making a, a, a warning and then not even 20 to 40 years later we're living thick in it and that's tr makes watching these again really really disturbing um so th th what he already sets up in this film is um jean yan uh this actor uh, is wonderful we're gonna go into him in a little, little bit but uh his character beyond desperation beyond you know, he's already 
sort of his life has just been dug in a hole. And we see him for the very first time in the scene previous to this, where he's getting, he's excited about getting money. He's a living in poverty, gets a huge inheritance from his brother who was killed. And he only just found out about it. No emotion, no, no, you know, there's nothing about him that, uh, you know, you think you'd have sympathy for automatically kind of questioning, this is how you're introduced to this character. And um, what ultimately transpires is that, well, there's, there is some sympathy in this character. There is some, he is a victim of, of, of many aspects of society. And he's no longer, the part of him that isn't sympathetic is, is, is that it's, you're seeing a, pro, a, a byproduct of how uh, the big, you know, uses and spits out and just destroys the, the little in society. Uh, and I, on another level, Jesua kind of underlines this, not just through the storyline or through the character. In the following scenes, you see him uh, in basically becoming Travis Bickle. There's, there's heavy taxi driver references in this, which I think the film was probably about a year old or not even when this film was, was released. And you'll see these sort of quotes throughout the movie. And I don't want to give them all away, but there's, it's a great game to play when watching is that he's, he's definitely done his up to 1977, the, the, the you know besieged little guy cinematic research and i think because he's actually quoting uh these films um you're gonna understand that he's making a big comment uh not just on this character but on um the media in general which is part and parcel handshaking this entire storyline and and then the all all levels of, of commentary, uh, social and character and uh, cinematic that he's he's brought you know brought up. Um, it's it's a fascinating movie, but it's a it's you know keep your eyes peeled uh, because these aren't these references are 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 definitely you know poised uh, carefully in this movie. Yeah, I would, I would say it's also interesting how this film foreshadows a lot of what would come cinematically. Uh, I, 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 well, since we're talking about Taxi Driver, I think another film that's almost echoes in a bit is The Collector, also, which, you mm -hmm. know, where Stamp wins the, you know, the, the lot of money and decides to live out his fantasy in that. But also, um, there's a Japanese film that came two years after it called The Man Who Stole the Sun, which is very similar. Um, and also, of course, more recently, you've also got Dan Gilroy's Nightcrawler, which I think would uh, be a good co-feature with this one. But uh you'll know something to point out in the film when you're watching it though is that it, it's again this was a 1977 film and this is when paris itself was undergoing a pretty massive transformation they were doing a lot of renovation reconstruction so you'll see whenever they're inside the metropolitan area of paris for example the les all district which is now like a major shopping area you know it's got it's one of the big subway stops uh but that was when they were kind of overhauling it it was completely different at the time so you're seeing a city basically in flux right in front of your eyes and it's great not just they captured it for posterity on film but it's a neat thematic thing about how the transformation in the sky is coming along how it's this new era of, of you know celebrity or i want to be famous your 15 minutes of fame is where i'll put it so um whether that was planned or not i don't know it's probably a necessity but it's kind of curious that those two things lined up perfectly it, it, it's almost like what louis mal was doing with atlantic city and and his yeah. his i mean they're you know that they there's the one thing that you know uh, french filmmakers of that generation definitely understood the post-1968 you know filmmakers um and, and they're they were all about trying to understand their position in their country's 
uh, cultural history and fighting fighting for the right to uh, expand on the language and and in doing so they kind of like disparaged a lot of um, you know of, of what came before them who came before them and uh, it, it's looking back it's it's completely unfair because they their talents would never have been focused the way it was had it not been for what was previously built up the kind of like you know a little bit of a couple of moments of biting that this the the, the artistic hands that fed them uh, but look at the inspiration at charge, and you're absolutely right. That this is, you know, uh, and if you look back, there's a lot of movies, you know, by Henri Grenau, by, you know, um, uh, this, the, a lot of the crime director at the time, uh, definitely uh, Melville uh, is one, where they're constantly reflecting uh, on the past and the changes that are happening. So uh, it may have been just a, a clever, you know, from the screenwriters, most of them written by Michelle Audiard. I mean, <laughs> throughout, throughout the, you know, that era, I, I think they're all, they were all wondering what was happening to their France. Um, you know, a lot of these guys fought in wars for them and they're wondering, wait, what did I, what, who did I fight for? What did I fight for? And it was a big, big cultural flux, political, cultural, and, and you know, uh, as, you know, especially um, when it comes to media, um, this was all, it was like a, a, a rural, you know, this fascinating, pristine rural picture of a, of a you know, a hermetically sealed culture now being opened up and uh, inspired by, you know, America for sure. Uh, and uh, in this movie, they have a wonderful reference to Eurovision, which is Again, I thought hilarious, but also tragic, and and it's foreshadowing really tragic because it it foresaw what you know what what would eventually mutate to something uh, kind of all consuming with with society and and no longer just uh, you know contained to Europe. It, it, this this movie really sort of anticipates a global a global response. Uh, you know, global. Uh, I don't know if you call it a growth or not, but. Uh, well, you know, this is a movie that that's about the world sort of rebuilding itself in, in you know, in, in post-war Europe. Uh, you know, European movies, British movies, well, British movies, especially in the 50s, you saw how essentially England kind of lost the peace. You know, it was still a, it was still a country in rubble. And then you get going to the 60s. And then that's when Europe started to come alive again, culturally, stylistically. And, you know, like with the British movies, you know, European movies, even a picture like this, I mean, Jean Yan is the bad guy. He looks very stylish. And the whole idea of like regaining your, your national identity through culture, pop culture, fashion, architecture, you know, all of this stuff is the foundation for a story like this. And the, the other thing, the other thing I just wanted to point out before we got too deep into it, when I was watching this picture, I said, oh, this is, I guess, Jeshua's uh, version of Rio Bravo, you know, uh, Hawks made Rio Bravo in reaction to um, um, uh, High Noon. Well, in the early 70s, you know, the Frederick Forsyth had written the novel and then Fred Zinnemann had done The Day of the Jackal, which was a version of this kind of story, but it was a procedural. It was by the numbers. There wasn't any deep character. There was some commentary and I think Jeshua is saying, well, no, there's more to that kind of story. And that to me is what this movie is about. It's sort of like taking that sort of doing his take on it. But 
you know, saying more about character and saying more about how these characters lived in this world under this sort of pressure. It's not just find the guy. Uh, so they're kind of cousins, I think. But For sure, as well as Chabrol's Nada Gang, or Nada, sure. as it's known. That's uh, you know, definitely Zinnemann. I, 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 I think the impact of in Europe, especially more so than America, uh, where it was just critically well received, but it really didn't do much business with Day of the Jackal. But it it, it did do business in Europe, of course. And it, uh, I think you're absolutely right about that. And influenced, of course, Chabrol almost immediately uh, to, in his own way, sort of satirize it. And then uh, now you have, you're absolutely right with, with well, just it's also it, it created the opportunity for this kind of landscape for these kinds of thrillers, you know, because the idea was, I'm sure they were making these movies with the world in mind, just not France. Now, Jesuit stuff, I mean, he's not a guy I really knew back from back in the day, certainly in the 70s. Um, but you know, this is a story any audience can, you know, get its hands on. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm saying he's, he's, he's ex extremely adroit at handling all the different, uh, uh, levels of necessity, commercial necessity, uh, personal necessity. He's, he's very articulate. What, what I find fascinating about what he's setting up so quickly, uh, is so much, and and it doesn't just sit there in this in the same but he in the same position. It, he actually grows on you know allows all these aspects to grow. What I find fascinating is right off here. You know, of course, we've been discussing it already, and it's it's definitely represented early on that media is uh, and and pop culture is almost destructively influential on on various levels of of intellect i mean uh, you could have a brilliant person influenced in one way you can also have someone you know who uh, is is a novice to uh, you know just goes for entertainment and doesn't really pay attention to you know deep thinking in the movies deep writing and they all have to it all has to work for as many audiences also like you're saying hopefully outside of just your your home base uh, you know in the world what i think is a, a, another wonderful sort of of piece of influence that uh, mainly French people would get. I don't know, you know, now, of course, it, it, we understand so much more, you know, spreading over here. We're, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're learning because of the internet, you know, the last couple of decades, we've learned so much more and uh, we can share uh, some, you know, literary gems from other countries now that where it was very, very hard to get. Now you have eBooks and things like this. Uh, and 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 the movies are proliferated, you know, through bootlegging and everything. So we're, we're, we've been getting, you know, a, a, a great education in, in world culture uh, through media. I think it's fascinating that he's allowing Jean Yan's character to almost be just the strongest influence is um, uh, like the uh, the Fulod. Uh, serials, um, you know, I mean, or, or, you know, or Lang's, you know, Dr. Mabuse, you know, you, you, you'd have, you'd have, you know, this character is absolutely trying to be like, you know, one of the old pulp villains, uh, you know, uh, of the, the, the twenties and thirties trying to, you know, he's almost like doing like his own origin story, but, uh, trying to, you know, with, with the hiding of the, the, you know, um, uh, the, the the identity through uh, voice and through costume and he's trying to you know outright uh, you know sound like one of these people who eventually is trying to you know use fear to take over the world and uh, and 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 I I just think it's it's a a, a really unusual um, 
statement uh, in in the seventies uh, to to watch this this guy um, want to become or use a, a culturally popular antihero uh, to his to be, to to actually further his um, I won't even say political agenda because it's not really he's reacting to um, to how he's just been treated by a country he probably um, would have cared for and, and people he would have cared for. Uh, he's not totally inhuman. He's, he's almost by adopting another identity, he's dehumanizing himself. And, 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 and Jesuit shows this, uh, how many already like, you know, and, and it, it, this has been done before. I mean, Mario Bava and Diabolic, uh, he's done this where there's montages upon montages of what you're seeing here, like, uh, you know, ID photographs, you know, uh, they're constantly abstracted, uh, these, these personas that he's putting on and uh, identification uh, with, you know, who, who is this guy? What is this guy, this building of a, of a uh, you know, this, this, this uh, you know, who, this identity, you know, who is this guy? We don't even, we, we've never known. We, we hear little slivers of, about who he actually is. Um, and, and we don't really get to know him terribly well, except for his interaction with, um, you know, uh, people that he's allowed to be close to. But then when you see how, um, how deranged he becomes, uh, we can only assume that right at the beginning of the movie, he was already there. Uh, we've never met him earlier and there's no flashbacks to show what happened up to that you know beginning point um again i'll point out another thing from taxi driver you just saw the scene where you know we probably took it from the uh, parodying the the travis on the war path going up to you know waiting for the uh, uh the candidate palantine to make an appearance and then the the guard, you know, the, uh, the <coughs> secret service comes in and stands there and pulls him away. But there's a little gag where he's accepted and shook his hand. That, that's all from, uh, you know, uh, again, direct references to Taxi Driver. Um, in other words, Jess was almost saying to you on his level, this is not, this is cinema. This is a, this is a, a cautionary tale um, through cinema using cinema uh, to represent itself and also at times against itself. I love here also you're seeing, uh, you know, the, 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 the male uh, victims are, um, you know, psychopathic and they're ready to, you know, lash out at anybody on any level. And the, the female victims uh, are, um, they just she just wants to be nude and free and that's that's what's weird about her you know it's like <laughs> this is you know but okay so that's a strange character it, it, you know it shows how this this guy has uh you know the elaine delon character the psychiatrist he's he's uh you know he has power as well and uh and he's he can just go and magically just like by making an appearance uh, have this girl given to him and you know uh, but yeah what, no resistance what, whatsoever you know no but what is she guilty of taking it, her top off I mean like you know what what is her character about uh, makes an interesting you know correlation between what she's being treated for who he, who this guy is and then what he becomes uh, we don't see him dealing with like this guy was not it wasn't like 
you know, what probably that inspired this scene was Dirty Harry, you know, where he goes up in the fire ladder to stop a suicide. But it's it 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 that's the big difference is that he's going up there and you're wondering how what was she being treated for? What's his main deal? So you can only assume that he's he's not a um you know, he wasn't like a, a, a deathly, you know, you know, the, you know, this guy who who exam who who helps the, the cruelest of criminals. He's becoming that in in this story, uh, and they're using him to catch a guy. He is using this, you know, Jean Yan to sort of. Be, understand who he is, who Delon is. He's trying, he's using him almost as self, holding it up as a mirror and seeing, uh, he understands the desperation. He understands uh, what Jan's character is uh, going through. And he's trying to, you know, I, I mean, I, I, if anything, this may have been uh, indirect reference or just like-mindedness with Manhunter. Uh, Thomas Harris's, uh, you know, uh, you know, the book Red Dragon. Um, it's that kind of guy. Again, this character is not—it's not, it's not a, a unique character to this film uh, at this stage. But the way it's being used is—is is, uh, again satirically profound. Uh, and Delon, that he has a, 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 I think he likes to use his glacial um, blank canvas so that the audience has to grow with him as well. That was not Jesua's intent uh, during the production. Originally, Jesua, uh, they had a horrible time making this film because of the relationship which had degraded, you know, it was just a totally difference of opinion. Uh, I mean, in, in uh, shock treatment, uh, it was a wonderful collaboration and very, and, and that's what was sort of like, uh, uh, got Jess went to thinking, you know, where, how can I, how can I use Delon again in, in a, a carefully constructed satire, you know, not unlike sh shock treatment. He, he doesn't mind being in the background. He, we've, we've seen that before. Uh, Delon is not, uh, you know, he may, he may demand the name above the, the title first above the other actors. And, uh, and he is a director himself, but he most definitely, you know, is is a, a gracious uh a, you know uh collaborator on on screen and and he's always been able to do that sort of change himself and 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 i think what what ha what happens here is that he is in the background until the point where he become they become each other and and it's like uh the, the they're talking to themselves uh, they don't have to talk to each other the, the two main characters here and it's a, a i think a beautifully thing, not just so intended. He he really wanted something much more obvious and and sort of Sergio Leone, uh, you know, back and forth between the two characters, you know, and uh, I think what he got was was two totally different characters finding that that uh, mutual point of of of, uh, of of understanding. Well, you know, uh, there are a couple of things that uh, that that came to mind. One was. Delon was the producer of this picture, so it was interesting how generous he was to let his co-star sort of be the star for close to 20 minutes. Uh, but the other thing is I wanted to circle back to this one line that Jan, uh, you know, says he goes, we're fucked. And, you know, it's interesting because in a sense, that's sort of overall the thematic uh, 
uh, glue between these two characters because in, in essence, they're not. Jan comes into money. He has means. He has the ability to live a better life. The country is getting its swagger back. It's, it's, it's recovering from its you know, post-war wounds and scars. It's being built. It's being developed. It's growing. And then you look at DeLon here, you know, successful. He's got a wife. He's got kids. But the sort of the pessimism that exists within these Which you're two guys. sleeping, by the way. That's the yeah. extent of their... You know, he has pe- children sleeping peacefully, dreaming peacefully. You know, the bedroom, the, the, the set decoration is, is really comfortable. You know, in a sense, Delon has everything, but it will get to a point where he admits, you know, and he has so much in, in, uh, uh, in common with, uh, with Jan's character because they seem to have what most people would say have it all, but they don't feel they have it or they have okay. anything. And especially both of them have this incredibly dark, pessimistic worldview that you know that not only are they not fucked personally in their everyday lives but they believe the world is fucked and you know other than the i guess the uh, bleed out from the vietnam war certainly in america the 70s was an interesting time to be alive around the world you know europe was had open doors and people from america were going there and discovering it you know, the children of veterans, the greatest generation that we were all, you know, the world in many ways, I think, was coming closer together. And yet all these two main characters don't believe in that. Uh, by the way, just a great shot to sell England. You've got you've got that dimensionality in the frame. You've got a cab and a bus, you know, talk about cinematic shorthand. Uh, Jess, we're really he does. I think maybe getting. I don't know if the bus is is was a a, a picture a picture vehicle or not, but uh, he made the most of that one frame to establish London. I don't remarkable. know if we have any other shots. He's remarkable at at, at his how concise. Yeah, he, he is. I mean, you're maybe 25, 26 minutes into this movie, and already you have uh, enough. Uh, enough to feed off of again on on the so on the the three or four different levels the story operates on in in for totally different reasons you have so much already that you feel confident that you understand every single character's position this really is a master class well it's also lots of context too just the visual look at the composition here with with yeah uh, Renato, uh, yeah, but the other thing, just that previous shot where the woman is coming out of one, one building and going across to the other, and you see a hole in between them, you know, again, a scar remnant, what you will, what, what you will of the war that that part of France hasn't quite rebuilt yeah. yet, but it's getting there, but it's still the world that, you know, Jan's character came from. Yeah. And, and look, I'm saying, I, 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 I love to think of this, like when I finished this movie, the very first time I had to immediately go and watch uh, the Defunis Phantomus series. I mean, it it was so meticulously uh, psychologically planned out that you could go, wait, is this, is this how Phantomus was born? Is this, but he, he, he's born in this movie because of, of having probably grown up with Phantom as a pulp, you know, it was a, a common pulp fiction. It was available to everybody. It was, it was a huge entertainment uh, for, for, you know, so, and it's chilling that these are so um, 
it, it's it's so uh, profound for these characters that they would mutate and and adopt it and and a, a fascinating thing towards the i would say a little past the middle of the movie um jan's character um says that you know he announces himself i am armageddon also known as and he gives his trivia away he's absolutely you know um what are his intentions suddenly like he just wanted he wanted fame he just became you know you know rupert pupkin you know i mean basically you know he's he's the, the, the he's totally capable of sociopathic distancing emotional distancing from wholesale murder of fairly innocent people innocent people fairly innocent they're innocent people and and yet at the same time he he wants people to know him and to to have sympathy for him which we do get and it's a you know you the audience i think should be quite conflicted during this because i don't think he comes off entirely as someone who you can you know not sympathize with not care about and uh his his relationship with his i I guess, you know, I don't know, autistic or low-level autistic friend, Renato Salvatore, uh, one of the best performances in the, in the film, because um, he has very little dialogue and also not as, he's not in it as much, but his, he, his, he's understood his character so well and his affection for um, his friend, his need, his desperation too. He's desperate too, but he has absolutely no idea how to get out of uh, the mess that he is in, because he's the kind of person who accepts it, and Jan has never accepted it. And uh, the, the bitterness and the anger isn't represented by his friend. The mirror is Delon. And, and, and that's what is, is so fascinating, is that you would say a third of this movie, without realizing it, is devoted to Renato Salvatore's reactions to his friend, or are trying to understand the complice, this complicitness that he's allowed himself with murder, uh, with violence and murder, and he's he's he doesn't understand. He starts to understand. So every character here has an arc, as painful, as stifling, um, as grim as you're seeing it there's two sides to every coin. This makes it a very perceptive film. And a lot of people's mind kind of dangerous, uh, but dangerous to who or to what. It's certainly not romanticizing uh, the actions done in this film. In, in fact, it's, it's highly unpleasant. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's a conf it, commercially, it's quite a confusing film, which is why I kind of understand that uh, it, it, it was, you know, not this, uh, you know, global uh, hit, um, but at the same time, it, it, in all justice, it probably should be now. Uh, it should be. It, I, I definitely think it's something which is uh, beyond skillful. It's not just craftsmanship. I mean, this is, you know, you're seeing an an, an artist trying to parse so many aspects of, uh, you know, basically a forty, a thirty or forty year span of time just by sticking with the, at that time the present, and it's um it's a complex, it's a really I think a very a very you know amazingly skillful uh, job to knit all these things together. Plus, you have a perfect cast. 
they understand everything. And regardless of how Jesua, you know, envisioned the relationship between uh, Jan and Delon, I, I, I think it's a, a Delon's sort of passive transformation says a lot about what Delon understood about the persona of Delon, the commercial persona. Glacial means something's underneath and you just have to melt away to, to, to understand really what you're dealing with. Like he did in, you know, that's, that's why we talk about the samurai so much today, 50 years, 60 years after it was created. He managed to, to change from, you know, sort of like what, how Toshiro Mifuni did it. Like, you know, they, they started out with very, you know, impulsive and ro romantic, you know, passion. And, and they weren't afraid to, to show emotion like Rocco and his brothers, you know, Delon was, you know, or the leopard, he's, he's alive and he's not afraid, to, you know, almost to push himself into a slight caricature to get, to get it across. And it's, you believe it, you know, you feel it. And he allowed himself to sort of tool into um, this, you know, blank, this blank, you know, sort of what's behind those eyes. The eyes are his, are his life at that, at starting in like, you know, the late, mid, mid to late 60s. And it wasn't just a contrivance, you know, uh, it, it really is a total transformation of style. And it just shows you that whether you, you know, like the films or not, because, you know, that everyone has different tastes, he's he's always supplied this wonderful trajectory which shows that he's considering himself how he appears to audiences and then he starts to tailor it and use it how how do i transform without transforming in this movie how do i how do i not change my appearance not change my emotional state so that people feel what I'm feeling tenfold. And it's, uh, again, uh, you know, you're dealing with actors like this, like Renato Salvatore, again, the two of them together, you couldn't have two completely more disparate uh, types of acting style. Uh, Salvatore is, is, again, very much alive. You can feel his, his, his pulse. You know? He's a big and, kid, you know, in a sense. This is an it, adventure for him. And that's that's a wonderful perspective for the audience to to have to share because they're they're not just sharing it with a, a, a damaged, deranged man and you're and a, a damaged, deranged, uh, you know. I guess what you, you he's the hero. Delon's the hero of this movie in a way. So you'd have to you know you you're dealing with a you know a very different styles. Um, Jean Yon. We'll talk about him more in depth in a little bit, but a, a movie that he made um, earlier than this, slightly earlier, but was, I think, the, the turning point uh, that I see in his style, because he was another one who was very satiric, very blustery. You know, obviously, he, he and Godard and Weekend, you know, definitely hit, a, 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 I think, a milestone for the two of them, you know, where, where you, your actor <laughs> believes himself in a totally surreal, uh, you know, cinematically stylized, contemptuous, you know, uh, motion picture. And, and he, in, in uh, Yves Boisset's um, uh, Angel's Leap, 
um, Le Saint-Ange. He is a, a very similar, uh, this, this sort of cold individual who's protected himself emotionally and all of a sudden the trigger comes where he has to go into action and he becomes um, perhaps what he's been repressing or, or could have been, but he's no longer a gentle husband, father, and businessman. He's gone totally Paul Kersey. Uh, he's, he, he starts this machination of, of death that is believable without him changing the style of the performance. And it's absolutely terrifying to watch. Um, and that's why it's it's also far more believable than other. And Bronson does the same thing in Death Wish, which is why again the, the Michael Winner, you know, thing comes through that there's there's certain aspects when when people, when the directors are, I, I notice are more satirically um, you know, walking on that commercial tightrope, they are also understanding who 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 they're they're working with and what, what you know allowing them to become sort of like you you have to have a blank slate so the audience can be that blank slate so that by the time where all these characters start to their their actions and their intentions start to and they start to dovetail you're not lost and you don't know who is the hero and who is you can you can object morally all along the line or you can understand it. I mean, that's why they have the DeLong character, someone who is trying to look aside from the actions and trying to uh, interpret and second guess and uh, cause these pains to, to be vented in a productive manner and not a, 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 a dangerous, an evil manner. Um, and Ultimately, he is, you know, again, and this is sort of like, I see this also in the work of William Friedkin, who's always been influenced by, you know, European and, and uh, world directors, aside from just American directors. Uh, he becomes almost possessed by, by the, the understanding of what motivates someone like Jan's character, which means no one, no one is... Um, hundred percent evil now that's a hard thing for a lot of audiences to have to swallow but the performers and this is what it's all about sell it and like you're talking about death wish you know, there's reasons for everything but bronson's performance there's no there's no question why he would be the first on these you know he made so many films with the you know european directors and uh, the french directors because they they understood exactly what he was all about. No, whether or not that's a, you know, he's a serious actor who was trying to, you know, plumb the depths of, wasn't always the case. It was just that's, you know, he was, you know, these certain actors are born with a certain precision, a certain style and a certain understanding of where they are in their career and what they can do and what they don't want to do. And it becomes something else once it's recorded on film. And and it's it's really powerful. I mean, Bronson's incredibly powerful. He made you know movies next to fantastic actors, next to Delon, next to you know, and and you don't go one or the other. 
you're forced to look at these guys and try and figure them out as they try and figure not just each other out, but themselves. And I think this movie uh, probably, you know, I mean, really, I think takes the cake in there. Um, Jessua just keeps, as minutes go by in this movie, I keep regretting that there wasn't a, an Elaine Jessua film a year, you know, for, you know, the last 50 years. Um, this is the kind of cinema that that I, I really grab onto like a lamprey. I don't want to be shaken out of this. I just think he, I, I, I give me more to study, give me more to figure out. And the arcs are, you know, fast and furious with these characters. And cinematically, he's unafraid to, you know, uh, look at this sequence with the the swish panning and you know of the, the different things that are going on. It's just a a, a subtle, brilliant way of uh, locking, uh, suturing point of view, and until it becomes. An, and here's probably a moment where Jesswa really was hoping the whole movie would be you know more forced that way. Is the the it, like the Sergio Leone aspect, the locking of the eyes, the you know where you can't hide. And you can't you can't pretend anymore, but you have to, uh, and 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 you're becoming more and more vulnerable. The fucked moment that you're talking about uh, appears uh, constantly uh, in this movie. It's reiterated. It doesn't want you to forget they are fucked, and it's not just the bad guy trying to do bad things and fumbling. It's not superficial. Jesua has found a way with his collaborators to completely. Uh, involve the audience in not the story, but the humanity. And that's a gift. That's a, a very rare thing to pull off with such depth and precision in a movie that shouldn't even really, when you're trying to sell it to your studio or to your producers, have to think about. Uh, yet he's just innately, you know, able to do that. Well, you know, one of the things that was kind of nice about that last sequence was, uh, you know, Jesua makes sure that Jan is not near any other people. In fact, most of the time he's as alone in the frame as 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 possible, uh, that he just has no connection to the world. And the only intimacy that he has is when he's with Salvatore uh, in, in their, I'll put it in quotes, happy home. And, and what's nice about it is Jesuit doesn't really hit us over the head with that, but he's just letting the language of cinematic storytelling sort of let that deepen and grow within the audience that, you know, that this guy is by designation, he's an outsider, but what it's reinforced with this, you know, with the storytelling and, you know, he takes the time to do that. I think also the, the, the sort of what I would call family scenes in their apartment, you know, when you look at the apartment, it's unfinished, it's stark, it's in a neighborhood, it's, it's, yeah. it's decaying, but it's on the cusp. It's also schizophrenic. Yeah, it's on the cusp of rebuilding. And then as the more times we go to the apartment, um, we see that it's, they're a little bit more domesticated. <laughs> the props the are saying that, the you know, beds. these guys the beds that are made and they look like beds in a children's bedroom. Um, you know, in a weird way, this, this path that, that Jan is on, that he's bringing Salvatore along is a path towards destruction, but yet the journey along the way is they're building something together. There are these two miserable, lonely guys who have developed this, you know, perhaps father and son relationship or certainly a deep friendship 
where they've become brothers, as the subtitle just said in a frame, frame ago. But it, it's interesting that they're getting what I think everybody wants in life is maybe some comfort, some security, some friendship. Somebody's going to have your back. Uh, this guy is just not a bad guy. He's not Scorpio and Dirty Harry. He's not even the Jackal in Day of the Jackal. Yeah. Whereas in, in Day of the Jackal, Jackal is about the money. He's a businessman. Look at the movie that, 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 that Salvatore is about to go into, wants to see it. Love Story. Yeah. Uh, a, pain, a painful movie about, about where you want to be in the world. Rich, poor, or in love? And, and truly in love. And uh, wow. I mean, that's you stapled right in. I mean, you know, he doesn't have to say anything more than, uh, you know, a, a poster. It's way in the background. You don't even really notice it. You're not supposed to. But when he says, are you going to see a movie? Yeah. And he goes off on his on his to do the rest of the work. Uh, and that's the sad aspect of the relationship is that he's he's using his friend on a, a, a he's a far more repressed you know he has a, he has a mission and that's repressing probably the relationship that had built up between the two of them to that point and that's an, another tragic aspect and since you know he's he's mirroring it next to love story wow you know you're this is a terribly painful world that you're being you know uh and it's a, it's obviously a modernist postmodernist film so you're you you can't you some people may be removed from it because of the references uh to you know this this constant cinematic referencing uh but it's part of the, it's part of the satire um and, and here also you know you're mirrored with uh, michel duchezoy and and uh, as as delon's partner uh, as well um Although that's a more erudite and professional uh, relationship that's that's exploded because of respect, mutual respect, and but so you have this wonderful mirroring between the two couples, and uh, and where they understand their friends and where they don't understand their friends. Again, it went from a, uh, a sort of a, a menage a trois of you know a relationship between Jan and now Delon and Salvatore, and now you're working in Duchessoy, and who is wonderful in Jesuit's first film, uh, Judah Massacre, which is, again, setting up this movie quite perfectly, although in that film, uh, that's, you know, dealing with how pop, you know, pop art, comic art, uh, the explosion in, in, in Europe in, in the late 60s, mid 60s, um, how that influenced culture. And that was sort of like, if anything, that was like a prequel to this, you know, it's a thematic prequel. And, um, and Duchessoy is extraordinary in that movie. Uh, and I think that's another one that's probably just now, uh, I, I've only just started seeing, you know, some serious commentary on, the, on that being written and stuff. Yeah, like a, it's been around for 50 years, 60 years, 50 years, 60 years, and, and almost. And, and you know, um, Jesuas never let up. Um, By know. the way, just this one scene where he's uh, signing the books. I mean, uh, when you're famous, you it, it's a perk where you're treated like a king or a queen. Uh, what can I get you? What do you need? Everybody comes up to you and tells you how wonderful you are. I love your work. I love your book. I love your art. I love your music, whatever it might be. And DeLong gets no joy out of it yet it's the propellant 
for yeah. uh, for Jan to try and you know get his message across as we as we come to find out later on. But you know, look at the trappings of Delon's world. You know, yeah. modern, stylish, attractive. The people in it are part of it, and yet here he is. He's trying to escape it. You know, well, this was a very big concern in uh, I'm finding out in films made between France between like 75 and 80 or, or, or even maybe a little bit more into the early 80s. Uh, this this, you know, sort of looking looking back at your accomplishments and realizing maybe it's all just a, not what I wanted. Not a, It's a sham almost. And everybody but every character in this movie is experiencing a different sham. In, in society. I mean, there's no stone unturned. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, if, if anything, it's, you know, you're, it's just underscoring how different the men are. And, and also the most complicated aspect, how similar they are. Uh, well, the other, the other thing is this, I, and, and this is sort of one of these exist, one of the many existential points of the movie is, you know, you go through life, you get to a certain point and you start to see what's ahead. And do you start to regret your past? I mean, you know, Jan's character, you know, had no life ahead of him, and then he inherits this money, and then he's got a world of options because he has money. And look at what he chooses to do with it. And then you've got Delon, who seems to have everything, and you get, the, they don't make a big deal out of it, but you get a sense of, you know, complete regret for having made this life choice. Well, well look at and, this. And somebody's, scene. just to finish the point, just someone's going to say, well, snap out of it. Look at what you've got. Yeah, well, the, the scene right here, he's, it's almost like, here's my, here's a guy and he's, he's talking to his best friend who loves him. No, it's not just a professional. They, he loves him for a reason. He's known him for a long time. He's admired him for a long time. And now Delon is just so getting into understanding this, this character he has to find and, and, and treat that he's saying like, it's not even I'm not even me. I'm, I have neurosis. What about, what about everything I have to deal with that I have, that I'm born with, that I have to figure out, that I have to understand who I am and what kind of life I want to lead and what kind of world I want to live in. He's stripped for two seconds in this movie to his buddy, stripped it away. And it's the only time in this film where he his face becomes sort of like I and I keep thinking back to what Buffoni used to be like, like in Seven Samurai, where he's exploding. The performance is exploding. He's exploding there, and then he goes right back together again, uh, and has to be back on the job and back on. And you don't get that at any other point in this movie. And it's a brilliant. There's it's a series of brilliant rack focusing of character. And of and of depth. And by the way, there, there's that great little line there. It says, "I'll have some cold meat too." And <laughs> the French solution for not being in a great mood: let's go out and get a couple of hookers. Yeah. yeah. You know, and and so the, there's no emotionality in these guys. It's just you know satisfying the needs of the moment. Whereas you know, the more we get to know uh, Armageddon. He has real deep human needs, you know, not only for himself, but for the planet, the world he lives with it, that he Nathaniel, can, he can okay. move freely and that he has now that he has the means. Nathaniel, from this point, I think we, we have an, we understand enough about this film. How does this fit in with Jesuit's other films? You mentioned this sort of trilogy that, that has formed yeah. uh, corkscrew that for me. I mean, 
Well, because, I mean, it, it's... Jess was trick, and there are other French directors who do this too. I think, you know, obviously you've got Chabral and Truffaut who do this, but Jess does it in a way where he takes what you, films that are set up as being thrillers, but there's there that's just sort of the very, very first layer, and there's so much more under it where it's a critique of what society is. And also bear in mind that when he did these, you know, France, of course, uh, you know, there's, and Europe in general, there was this whole, you know, thing between all the bourgeoisie versus, you know, the, the far, you know, were essentially with the communist parties and they were sort of, you know, at each other's throats. And so, his own critique that shock treatment, you know, is the one that really laid out that whole thesis where it's, you know, the establishment in this case, you know, medicine, um, you know, this, this, the, the upper class, this get this rich getaway where you go out and, you know, sort of heal yourself or whatever through all these sort of touchy feely methods that that's actually clearly predatory. That's something that eats you alive. And of course here, the entire character of Armageddon, that's what he is. He is someone who has been essentially bitten away through his entire life by the system. And once he gets the money in his hands, you know, he's the dog that bites back, which leads you right into what Le Chien is, which if you haven't seen it, it's just a, a uh, if, let's just say if if, if uh, any U.S. company ever snaps up Le Chien for Blu-ray, uh, we're right here, so I'd love to do it. Um, that's all we ball of wax. But um, but if you watch them in a, in a continuum, it's you know it's essentially showing how society is essentially set up this kind of this capitalist system where you know it's it's nibbling on everybody every single day, and a lot of them don't even realize it and how before it's too late, you know you have to sort of turn around and be like, oh wait, I'm 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 the victim here, and I have to do something. Um, but the problem is when the victim does turn around, that it just creates more victims in the process. And that's not far from what Martin Scorsese uh, has been doing as well. I mean, which is why yeah. I think this film. Well, should I, well, Scorsese was a huge fan of Jessica. He said that uh, La Vie en was like one of his favorite films. That was yeah, which is why, I mean, if you watch King of Comedy, you can't find yeah. a better double feature with this movie. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 I mean, and what's, what's ironic is that you, you see how he's feeding off of Taxi Driver blatantly throughout. It, it, but it, something like a film like this also underscores. And it's like Tavernier did the same thing in his own work. He appreciated, I think, a, a different set of directors than the 1968 riot directors did, uh, the post-68 directors. I mean, he, he did appreciate old Hollywood-style French cinema and what they contributed because it was, it was unique. And it wasn't just aping, you know, uh, the, the American or, or Americanized European directors. I think that's what the, was the, a huge resentment component was that it was, it was the, 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 the American, they think they were being Americanized by the Hollywood system when really it was quite different. And I think, it, you know, in, it's all relative. So what you, if you're, if you're, you know, passionate about cinema and you're watching and you want to do something different, of course, you're going to pick your enemies, you know, in your own country first. And it was, but, but really they, I think they, they wouldn't have existed without that, you know, that, that fantastic building block of all these directors like De Vivier and, uh, you know, Gilles Grangier and all these great, these great guys. Uh, but, but Scorsese did the same thing. And look what he did. He, he, he utilized his own sort of revolutionary desire to um, augment cinema for its time and to push it forward stylistically. But it's, it's a unique signature. But his concern is not, his concern was more to actually show the appreciation for the older directors. And that's, you know, you, you could stop a Scorsese film every every two seconds and, and note he does that actually in his older commentaries. He has, you know, he, he does, he'll stop and go, this is from, you know, uh, you know, Reginald LeBorg's film. You know, he'll just reach out and go like, oh, this way, you know, and, and it makes sense to him, you know, how, how you can incorporate uh, and evolve cinema through the use of cinema and through the quotation of cinema without having to be obvious or make that the, the focus. It's, it's, it's purely inspirational. You know, Paul Thomas Anderson does the same thing with, with more modern movies. 
So uh, this is not like a, a something which is alien to directors. Old directors quote, there is no such thing as plagiarism unless it's just done on such a superficial level where you can't obviously uh, reach in and see a reasoning beyond, you know, he's just using that composition or using that story. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a, a, a pretty lazy way of, of, uh, of addressing uh, a particular director's style is just by saying, if you notice that there's a similar scene, go, oh, he's, he's a ripoff artist. He's stolen. I mean, Tarantino has been labeled that. And uh, I mean, of course, De Palma, and it just shows you right off the bat that you know, okay, that's fine. You're not there to till the soil. That's fine. It's designed that way too. But you know, at certain certain directors at certain times, will use this against its own audience. And I, I definitely, I think people like Michael Winner and um, uh, I, 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 you know De Palma for sure. Uh, they they hold the audience responsible for the success of certain formulas and formats, and they will deliberately sacrifice their their film and their you know the commercial aspects of their film or or their career just to make the point. Not unlike the character of John Yon in this movie, but I find it interesting that uh, Scorsese, who I mean, took this film, and I don't think it was out of any kind of E egotistical appreciation for the fact that you know there's some sharing going on here with with the Scorsese's you know earlier film. Uh, I think it's because he admires this the, the aspect of of the satire, and it's it can be cruel, frightening, disturbing, and at the same time compassionate, understandable, and relatable. Uh, and and I think you know when you see King of Comedy, I mean you're you're basically looking at this the climax of that. You're basically looking at the climax of this film too, just re retooled for its its purpose, uh, and for its and for the the way that you know audiences in eighty one or eighty three, whenever it was made or released, could actually understand could have a, a grip on it. Mm -hmm. Well, and also remember when this film came out, it was also that was when the whole violence as being a, a essentially a media tool was really at the forefront because you had obviously you know for. Famous, you had the, you know, the Munich assassinations, you know, with the Olympics, you had, uh, you know, the Red Brigade, you had Patty Hearst and things like that. So people were really starting to learn how you could use the media as your tool if you committed violence. And that's what this film, I think, is dealing with in a really interesting way and why I think it's such a masterstroke casting Jean Yon because, you know, if you, if, especially if you're a Chabral fan, you knew what he's capable of. You've probably seen, you know, Le Boucher and, you know, The Beast Must Die. And I think he's just a dead on choice because you know that he already brings all that, all that baggage with him as an actor that you know what he's capable of. And it's a neat bait and switch because, Outside of France, if you look at the posters, this was sold exclusively as a Delon film. Um, you know, in France, they had the, their, their faces were split in half, that it's a 50-50 deal. But ever since then, when this comes out on DVD, for example, it's always in Delon collections or whatever. Jean Yon is totally set aside. So in a way, it's almost kind of slightly subversive to have this film where you think you're getting like an Alain Del and Delon thriller instead you're getting a character study of Jean Yon, basically. Yeah, yeah I agree. Absolutely. Um, again, another thing in the very beginning, just to point out, went by these things go by so quick it's almost subliminal is the scene where you know he's basically Jan is is loading his gun and turns to the mirror and and he's like, so it's obviously the you know who, you know you talking to me moment <laughs> or or even more so where he's pointing the gun at the at the American bandstand tv set and he kicks it over and the tv explodes I mean these are all things that are were on the minds of these directors and I think again it wasn't like you know um you know, butt kissing each other and their influence. I think it was really more of, I get your language. I love your language. And I love, I love what you're talking about. I think I can, I think I understand that. And I'm going to apply that to a movie that's 
that's even more about indicting the, the media or the, the power of the media and the, the power of each of, of everybody who uses it, the individual or the government. And um, that's what makes this film, you know, you, you don't look at it like, oh God, he's just ripping off all these movies that were made not even a year ago. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because I always think of it as a tip of the hat. I think of it as a form of acknowledgement. You know, you know, creative people, when you hear musicians, they say, oh, I wanted to do a riff like so-and-so did with the guitar. We wanted to do something in that vein. You know, when, you know, uh, cartoonists or illustrators sort of, quote, steal from one another, it's, it's not so much that. Part of it is the commercial aspect of you're making, you're, you're creating commercial art within the context of the time. And there's always in every decade, I think, in any uh, discipline of art, kind of a house style. But the other thing is, you know, you look at someone who you admire and you say, well, I can learn from them. I also want to sort of say, hey, I noticed, you know, what was it? Michael Caine always said, you know, I never steal. I just steal from the best, you know, because he's, as he's saying, I admire what you do and I'm learning from what you do. And I see a lot of this that's happening in world cinema. I mean, you know, used to be British movies never played over here, European movie and played. I mean, they, 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 they wouldn't land for the audience in a sense. You know, they were too British or French movies were too French. And then, you know, in the 60s, um, when world cinema became a much smaller, more cohesive environment, all these directors are looking at everybody else's work and is saying, oh, yeah, I like that. I'm going to use that. I never thought of that. What a great idea. What a great solution. And it's all in, in the service of storytelling. That's the thing. When you start to watch the cinema of the world, you know, even though the actual language of the filmmakers is different, the language of the work is the same. Mm -hmm. it, um, also, real, real quick, can I just, can I just turn real quick? Because again, we're passing some locations here. But uh, before we wander off, I just want to point out that but since I mentioned Le Boucher earlier, that the mining basin, we just saw a couple of scenes back there. That's actually in Pas de Calais, which is actually one of the oldest areas of France, but it's inhabited by um, even like back to prehistoric times, like Romans, everybody went through and lived in that area. But I think it's a nice touch sort of on the history of this film, about how this, this primal nature of mankind has always been there and how Armageddon sort of like a new manifestation of that. Um, but also the dehumanization part in this film, which I think we just saw with that whole identikit yes. scene where they're swapping out yes. the facial features. Um, but if you notice, there's a lot of that imagery in this film. You notice like the mannequins, for example, are walking through the exhibit yes. with all the military this figures. This is what I was going to interrupt like, with. <laughs> yeah, or like or the, the, the sort of Damocles shot with the swords hanging over their heads or the guns exactly. trying to land head on television. Yeah, it's, it's really neat how you see that thread kind of running through the whole film right there. Yeah. I, I mean, definitely. I mean, this movie is full packed, full of abstracts and dehumanizing. I mean, this past scene right now, it's kind of crucial where, you know, of course you see the, the dehumanizing aspects of like, he's not even there. It's, you're, it's, they're, they're trying to get, you know, witnesses to um, uh, identify him. And what's happening is without Jean Yon being in the actual shot physically, what's happening is you're seeing his abstractions being um, tailored and mutated uh, for identification. And um, basing it off of memory, basing it off of, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Just a, a sort of a, a character, uh, a, a moments with the, uh, that are representational, artistic representations of just types. Uh, and that, that if identified, you can, by using a mix match of physical types, 
you're not getting the uh, you're not you're not you're saying that he is not just you know sure they're dehumanizing him because they're taking his identity away but but they're also trying to use other people's physical characteristics to comprise a generalized but more specific way to identify this particular man without understanding who he is what he represents in other words he's transforming from a human being on camera a physical being into drawings not just of himself but of aspects of other individuals who have characteristics that are identifiable and they're mixing it all together and what they're doing is they're trying to find not jean yan this character who is himself a victim who's transformed before the movie even begins but they're transforming him yet again and they're not what they're doing is they're transforming him into um, an archetype of 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 evil and and potential more evil and Delon is using his insights and his identification his his identification uh where it's saying like okay in essence it's a painful transformation, but I'm going through that as well because I'm, I'm identifying with the various people that I'm asked to um, figure out how to help. And so his transformation is happening concurrently. And it's a different, like you mentioned before, Nathaniel, it's a different transformation. He's, he, they, they do share an awful lot alike. They do become mirror images of each other in a way. And when they're finally together, you know, they're no longer looking at each other from separate parts. They are framed together. And their transformations are both quite unfortunate. And, and they, they still have to maintain their veneer for public consumption because that's what they're weaned on. Uh, Delon is professional. He's not personal, but he is. He's never going to let it go. He showed his friend. Same thing with Jean Yan's character. He showed his friend. And there has to be, you know, the fact that in these characters' lives that there has to be someone who is unfortunately not just an anchor point for their honest emotions, but it's also they are using them for other aspects of other desires that, that they maybe thought they wanted. But how else can you achieve it without using somebody close to you? And it's um, yet another another nuance that I think is is just really um, sort of economically and and uh, strangely enough for its brevity, really deeply uh, engra you know engraved. I, mm -hmm. I, it's just a, it's just meticulously examined from all aspects. Yeah. Well, speaking of dehumanization, the last three shots we've gotten, first you saw like all these people locked up in these little car containers, you know, rough, rough, row row in the distance, and then coming off of this giant metal plane, and then the, all the, the men, like immobile, like statues in the cars. Yeah, it's uh, really, really neat stuff. And look at the vantage point. We're a million miles yeah. away. We're, yeah. we're, not, we're not part of that group. We're not part of them. And Day of the Jackal, uh, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're given... And this is beautiful. This is, and this is Frederick Forsyth. I mean, so you know that even came yeah. through in the Fred's, and it's also Fred Zinnemann. The perfect connection of, of two artists. Uh, you couldn't have gotten a, a better director to understand exactly what had to be seen in that film. Uh, it's an overlooked movie, and I still think it's it's a you know one that definitely belongs in this and is influential. To you're absolutely right to to this you know post seventy three uh, French you know uh, procedural type thrillers. Um, and and more so political thrillers of that time. Um, I, I definitely think that 
the the idea that a um, uh, that jackal is sociopathic without need of examination. His goal is for money. He wants money, but it's not stopping him from being naturally charming. He's not putting that on as an act. Edward Fox, brilliant performance, equal to the type of sociopathic repressed natures that uh, are on display here. They are different. Um, and I and I think that it, it's interesting to see how Zinnemann deals with this in terms of complete sociopathic um, distance from any kind of humanity. And when you have Jesua, uh, someone like Jesua or, or, or Scorsese even, uh, but more so Jesua, I believe, is that, um, that he wants you to live with the characters. I mean, here, just this little thing, a moment between the two friends uh, where it's actually going back to probably what their relationship was like when they were both destitute and, uh, and no goal whatsoever. The idea of just living a lot, you know, being famous enough, not wealth because he has it already, but famous enough to justify in his mind how the world accepts people he wants to be accepted so that he he can shake off the shame of never having had the chance any other way. Uh, very Rupert Pupkin, um, but this is I think it's it's performed. John Young can't help but but grasp a pathos that Salvatore sort of uh, you know shares. Uh, you're not going to see that that with um, uh, that almost you know physical where they have to toast together the Duchessoy Delon relationship. Uh, where it it has to be Delon taking the moment out of their entire relationship, this particular moment, to tell him, maybe you don't know me yet. You don't really know me yet. But <laughs> Renato Salvatore knows his friend enough to cry uh, at the end of this film. And, and, you know, that he realizes that he's he's been abandoned not just by his friend, but by society has has transformed his friend and taken him away. Um, well, you know, he's the left other, him alone. It's like it's like taking your your you know your beloved parent away from you, and you're no longer you're on your own now. You're alone. Uh, it's a, a, a wonderful you know moving from one character to another, so the audience can have compassion where they least expect it. Um, and that doesn't always happen. I mean, in, well, in, the, the thing the thing that's so interesting and kind of special about this is that that last scene or these that series of scenes in the apartment. You know, they were domesticated. They were a couple. They're, nothing homosexual implied or anything like that. They were just a couple that had routines like any couple would have. And in in some ways, you you see them. They're kind of happy. Well, yeah, it's a comfort, yeah. And 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 they understand each other and, and they're content. Whereas, you know, these two guys, they're they're professionals, they're eating on the run. You know, there's a, a kind of strange coldness to the set design, which of course I'm sure was intentional. But you know, it's it's fascinating. The more deeper we get into the story and we see what what Jan wants, is Jan actually has what he wants. And and, and Salvatore has what I think maybe he'd even dream for. But yet the movie goes to the degree that it does. And then, of course, the, you know, the, 
the audience reaction to everything. Oh man, you talk about having empathy and sympathy for these characters. Oh, it just, it pulls on your heartstrings, but we'll get there. Yeah. We're not there yet. Hopefully you've watched this movie before you listen to us talk about it. Yeah, this is... Uh... Well, if they have it, then they're going to be totally lost by this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. No, this is the, the scene in particular. I think is really interesting. And the way you you know you were mentioning it, it it's it's cro going back and forth between you know they're they're conversing. This is sort of like almost the uh, <laughs> the Robert Shaw Walter Matthau relationship that develops in uh, taking a Pelham one two three, um, which had, again was prior to this film. So uh, you know it and 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 quite unique in that structure too. But that was also uh, not just a, a a great writer in Peter Stone. That was also um, an unexpectedly um, a brilliant turn by the director Joseph Stargent, who was always not just competent, it's always like a you know a little bit above the you know ahead of the crowd in, in terms of what he was providing, whether it was for TV or not. But but the juxtaposition of both worlds, both uh, the desperation of one person's existence and the de and 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 the and the uh, tedious process uh, of the other finally meet through not understanding each other's motives at all, but through mutual wit and respect for the intelligence that suddenly you're pitted against. The fucked moment that you, you know, again, that you, I think, really in, incisively picked out in this movie. It is, is a thing that is in these movies that, that when the character realizes you know, yeah, okay, I didn't, I don't know how to play chess. Uh, I'm not a good chess player, you know, and, and, but I, maybe I should be. And, and how does that affect the rest of their game? And, and, uh, you know, to, to, to look at Delon on the phone with, uh, you know, and they all look at the, the TV monitors are popping up everywhere and they're watching more, they're trying to see more than one view that, that people don't do. It's, it's, it just was saying that to understand to truly understand people and you, you could have a million monitors observing a million things but you're still gonna going back to the scene that you saw before with the the bus going through customs there's 30 people on the bus and the customs officer who's responsible for the protection of that of, of letting bad people in he's like who has is anyone declaring anything no okay bye <laughs> he drops the fingers and goes on the bus the whole entire bus with, with the you know goes it, you can you know it, it, evil can be led in anywhere just you know but there's a guy and what's his story it's it's totally set up like you start to have to wonder what what made this guy such a failure at such a crucial position that every single minute of the day should be priority and not your personal existence and that's what society the placement in society the way society has has turned you know turned into the more people have you know that that come out of mothers and <laughs> fill up your cities and uh, fill up your countries and uh and then are affected by the way that the governments sort of dictate how you're going to live and your class system and enforcing that class system in their own little microscopic ways uh how is that how how are you how are you supposed to you know function you can't you can have 100 monitors it's never gonna it's never gonna give you the answer you need you have to have uh insight into human nature um and if you don't which is what they're showing with delon and delon is almost surprising himself with how accurate because he's talking about himself 
uh, how he feels about himself. And he's only assuming that this guy, and he even has to turn and tell his 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 partners, uh, you know, almost like, wow, I'm, I'm really just making this up. I'm just, getting, you know, he's like basically saying, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I have to do that to instigate him. Hey, you're not, you're, you're looking for a friend. You're looking for someone who may not share uh, your, how you would deal with it, but you're, you're trying to, he's trying to cure someone. He's not just trying to, to, to talk to Jan to cure him, to prevent, you know, crime. He's, he's, talking to himself he's well you know himself that that these scenes are about understanding that you know he's saying the yawn he says i understand you here's a guy who probably went through life up until this very moment feeling no one got him no one understood him and you know i have a feeling that michael mann uh has seen this movie uh because a lot of what we're seeing with delon and yan you you know uh when he did heat or the heat heat warm-up tv movie um la takedown yeah uh, it was expanded in heat where the whole point of that movie was okay these guys are on a different side of the law but and maybe different side sides of a coin but they they understand each other you know to, to the to the point where where man has that great scene and it's a key scene in the movie and i think it's a key scene in all crime movies where you have the pursuer and the pursued sitting around having coffee and going i I get you. I understand you. I kind of like you. Well, he's you basically know? calling him up and making him making the demands. And then after after a few minutes of going back and forth and making the demands, he goes, he thanks Delon. A genuine thanks for, you know. Because Delon is not the guy, demands. he's not just a doctor. He's another guy who actually understands him. And, you know, talk about broad thematic strokes. I mean, isn't that what we're all looking for in life every day? doesn't matter what the decade is to be around somebody who gets you Um, and and we're approaching a really tragic i mean there's really tragic climax here i mean the the fact that he he here yon this is his rupert pupkin moment where he goes on a show and in in more words than one he's you know demanded that his his film which would show sympathy for him his upbringing and what he loves and what he's you know what 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 he's been deprived of and notice me um it's laughed at by a crowd who's threatened their lives with their, and the and and he he's destroyed by that and it is a horrifying moment where he has to then go on the show this is like Rupert Popkin coming up and trying to you know here I am here I am this is what I want to do it's not who I really am because that's far more complicated and sad and tragic and ugly but it, it it's 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 yet him grasping to try and sell himself uh, to the audience as an identity, and this is you know Fantomas, you know a vulnerable Fantomas, you know, and you you know he, he may be you know pre Fantomas energy, total you know totality of transformation, but maybe they're trying to say in real life you you know those who do that they're they're not you know they'll never be successful it's it'll it'll never last forever because you're still dealing with uh persona and uh perception and the the way that you know your presentation becomes a a lie in many ways to the audience you're selling a a, a performance of what you want 
to be accepted as, and, and maybe not even very well at that, but you're, you know, and, and I think, you know, like I said, in King of Comedy, you have exactly the same moment, only um, the intentions of the character are very different and the outcomes. By, by the way, it's, it's interesting how, you know, we're looking at reality television, which was not a thing in America <laughs> in the seventies. Candid camera. It's yeah, and, it's, and it's, and it may be candid camera, but this is a big deal over here in France and in Europe in general. Um, you know, this kind of variety show uh, is much different than, you know, what we had on American television. But again, these shows where there was contests built in, well, you know, sooner or later, it, it got across the Atlantic. And then we've seen all kinds of goofball shows like that. that and oddly enough, just now this year, we're actually getting our own American version of Eurovision. So go mm -hmm. figure. Yeah, oh, it's, called, it's called the Great American. <laughs> it's called the Great. It's called what's called the Great American Song Contest or something like that. But it's coming out in the fall of 2022 so the future is here <laughs> see the world can get better okay uh again look how we're watching you know the talk you know he's we're seeing it we're seeing the introduction to Jan through his eyes whether he's approving of the the uh, introduction or not uh i mean it's, i mean it, it's a, i mean it's it's almost it's a, obviously obviously a sexual turn on um he has dysfunction uh maybe he is repressing what would have been um a, a, a mutual you know sexual relationship between his friend although i don't think he would ever consider it because of the nature of his friend's innocence um but it's definitely there uh more so it's narcissism it's damaged narcissism from you know uh and and oddly enough they make it very clear not, probably not from his family um it looked like a loving family and it looked like the world um, prevented, you know, created his disappointments, prevented his barriers, and he had no idea how to negotiate it, which is why you strike out, is why you lash out. It's, un, it's irrational, but it's desperate. And, and here it's all tying together in this, in this very, you know, terrible moment where he sexually, he's being satisfied finally, and that's being um, suddenly, um, just destroyed uh, in front of him. Yet another illusion. You know, uh, it's not reality. It's he's now living in a in the Truman Show. Basically, he's, well, it's he's part of a circus. You know, that you look at you look at the set. I mean, this is not reality. It's a circus. It's a it's a you know it's it's a goofball show. It is Fellini. I mean, for yeah. sure. You know, I mean, it's how the world is just. You know, they grab ideas and they they reappropriate. They they mutate and um, and they don't they don't care about reality or growth or they're 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 concerned about uh, just gut reaction and you know uh, entertainment and at anyone's expense no matter what whether they're laughing at someone or whether they're laughing with someone it all becomes the same thing it all becomes entertainment and I think he's realizing this now so what is his goal he's becoming infuriated. The only person right now who actually understands him is the person who um, is also now uh, sort of debasing his own performance in life. And that's Elaine Galan, the person who's basically um, helping to catch him. Yeah, I think the integration of like using a real sort of pop culture event sort of the backdrop for this um, reminds me a lot of the, a, a film that was almost simultaneous with this, which is Black Sunday, uh, the Rankinheimer film. Yeah. Uh, you'll notice which they I'm not sure how they got permission to ever shoot that movie but it's kind of miraculous but um, yeah. if you've seen the last 40 minutes you know what I'm talking about 
Yep. No, it's, it's absolutely true. And it's, again, heartbreaking, yeah. um, you know. Um, but, you know, that, it, what's sad is that, and ultimately, you know, the, all these films kind of, you know, uh, wave the, the dagger above the, the head is um, the fact that um, you can be, as a director in this era anyway, um, daring and critical of your superiors and your society and your studios and your producers. That's part of the charm. That's part of the allure. Uh, that's why the producers sacrifice themselves. Go, you know what? I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna Bob Raffles of this one. I want you. Uh, I don't care if this thing makes a billion dollars. We'll make it make a billion dollars. I would think you're brilliant. And then you get someone like Peter Bogdanovich. You get someone like you know Frankenheimer. You get all these, these guys who, uh, in their own way, grew up uh, either just naturally being part of a movement like the TV movement, New York TV, or uh, after that, like Bogdanovich, which was you know, really like the very first examples of like real hardcore, you know, modern, modernist or postmodernist cinema, where it's like, no, everything that came before is crucial to me uh, showing people who are just as aware as I am about movies and TV and culture. I'm going to show them that, you know, this reality can reflect that uh, in the, and, you know, the, the thing is, once, you know, the, I guess after Heaven's Gate, which is, you know, I don't want to point fingers, I, I like the film a lot, it's brilliant, but um, obviously, the acceptance of the biting the hand that feeds them stopped. <laughs> and less and less and less, uh, you, you know, these people who were just working directors who had intelligence and managed to have a group of people who they were working with in the studio systems behind them watching their backs and then you know post 19 79 80 81 less and less identity is allowed corporate i guess the corporate now studios became corporations instead of studios and you know you change this the whole thing changes now you have you know marvel and you have all this and and it's it's more difficult to sit down and sort of pull back everything and see like we're seeing here with this movie it not that it's not there it's just become so dictated strongly dictated by formula uh, which now you you know you'd say oh it was a formula film you know the werewolf and yeah okay but what were the what was the era like what was the conditions like what were the artists like what was it what was the, the, the cultural acceptance like well the other uh, thing is the economic change now the economics of it you know played yeah, a yes. component too that yeah. the risk was <laughs> yeah. not as high so you could be bolder because you weren't you know betting the farm literally on every picture i mean you know once the 80s kicked around and and there was a lot more corporate filmmaking even though you had companies like orion you know that were pretty independent making you know a and a, you know uh, a minus type pictures the the literal risk of the money to make the picture and i know the budget seemed far lower at this time but you have to remember that the money that it was worth more but still the risk was not always the main concern yeah. i mean i know filmmakers today they make movies for two hundred thousand dollars it's life and death yeah. you know and then you look at most major studio pictures cost 100 150 200 million dollars the economics of these types of pictures you know allowed these types of pictures to exist in my mind i mean it, it always cracks me up when i think about how the french connection got financed 
you know, speaking of Americans who are influenced by French movies, literally and, and existentially, you know, De <laughs> Richard Zanuck said, I got a million and a half sitting in the drawer. Can you do it for a million and a half? And of course, Friedkin said, sure, no problem. Or Friedkin and, and, and his producer, Phil D'Antoni. Well, I think a lot of movies like this could exist because the economics of the time were not out of control or controlling. Right. I mean, because this did happen. This happened back in, you know, throughout history. I mean, you know, Zanuck and not just Zanuck, uh, uh, Selznick and uh, Mayer, you know, they, they've done the same thing. They've replaced directors like 400 times in the middle of a, a classic motion picture and it all worked. It, again, you're right. I mean, it's all, but the era, it's crucial to understand where the era was coming in. And you're absolutely right. At this point, um, towards the early mid eighties, you're dealing with a different world in production and a very different world. Uh, we were very lucky to have uh, the last gasp of trying to notice like independent filmmakers trying to eke out a, a thing. And that was, you know, with the creation of Sundance, uh, you know, really sort of like, oh wait, and everything has to be then grabbed a great idea, a humanitarian idea in art or in culture. and turned into completely commercial, you know, thing. So the meaning is gone after a while and you have to have a whole new set of rules you have to deal with of what you can't say and who you can't speak against and who you can't, what your film can't be. Um, and now, uh, you know, the majority of, of motion pictures, I mean, you know, it's still, it's still a fight. Uh, there's still some very lucky people out there uh, who are doing, you know, good things, but it really was a, a few and far between from what we used to have, even in what films were considered in America, especially garbage films. I mean, if you, you know, you may not like the way they're shot, you may not like the budget, you may not like uh, the, the actors, but, it, you know, now you, or, you know, there is a way to look at these films and, and see um, really that there is some value even on a cultural level, uh, you know, and it's, it is expressed within the type of product you're getting. So um, this movie, I think, again, kind of encompasses the befores and afters. It's a, you know, it's not just a warning. It's really almost like uh, clairvoyance. You know, it's they're seeing the future. They're they're examining the past, and it it and it has nothing to do with filmmaking, and it has everything to do with media. It does. I mean, it it has you know it's it's a you know that's why this is a clever film. You can watch it as a satire. You can watch it as a drama. You can watch it as a thriller. You can watch, it, and uh, as a a, hu a human uh, you know uh, relationship film. You know, masculine relationships. Um, and it's here. Here it is. They're in the same frame together, and they're. It's all you know. This is Father Karras looking into. <laughs> Father Karras, it's yeah. it's Pacino and De Niro at the end of Heat. Yeah, I mean it's. I mean it's it's it's. This is this is cinema. It's using the gaze. It's it's Hitchcock. It's you know it is absolutely understanding without aping superficially, the sources of uh, cinematic sources of um, uh, a story that. Um, usually is not is, is told for commercial reasons and not for um, you know a, a, by a director who is so steeped and passionate about um, the context of everything that came before um, and how it can be re 
and it's foregrounded and at the same time it really is not so you can it's if anything if anything to me that's the widest commercial appeal it's a gift and um and that's why when i watch these i go my god this is so well-formed well-rounded and complex and um and emotional uh and personal and at the same time 100 percent commercial it doesn't doesn't deny you any aspect of uh, whatever formulate from formulaic expectations an audience would have uh it's it's exceedingly satisfying on so many levels uh and i think everybody doing pretty world-class work here um you know for you know and, and again delon is not uh, is not hogging this movie he doesn't have to uh, he agrees with the placement he agrees with it here and here you go here's the the taxi driver ending the, the 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 king of comedy ending the wolf of wall street ending where it's all you know sort of recapping in some in, in a point of view that the audience is sort of like realizing doesn't mean the same thing they thought it meant when when they were going in there's there's again uh abstractions well uh, and, and, and that's what about this, this highly poignant moment you know uh you wouldn't think that a thriller would allow for such a thing that you would think that maybe the cops would barge in and slap the cuffs on him but he's allowing that you know jess was allowing salvatore to have this really important moment because it sums up the relationship of these two guys and, and it's, it, it's incredibly surreal because obviously there's dead bodies lying around here and there's nobody attending to it. So mm -hmm. you, you're also realizing that the, the, the narrator, the narrating has is, is changed. The point of view has changed to someone who is not um, 100% clear. You know, uh, you're, you, now, now it's, you're totally in, in his perspective. Uh, everyone else is, is, is gone is done you understand theirs you know you've seen the abstractions you've seen the photographs you've seen the the news clippings you now it's now it's all sort of i guess you get what you want and you don't get what you want at the same time that's a, a very uh, that's a, a a very interesting warning